Welcome to Camertake Podcast. And of course, as always, we have a super awesome guest on the show. But before we get there, just be reminded that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can see our beautiful faces in full Technicolor over on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Camershake. As always, same thing as every week, really. So that being said, please welcome the rocket photographer, the co-host of The Grid on Kelby One, um, creator of some of the most amazing cinemagraphs that I've ever seen, mm -hmm. actually. Give it up for Mr. Eric Kuna. Eric, how are you? Hey, man. Oh, hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, thanks for that intro. Uh, I'm not sure if I... Looking at Plotograph and Plotiverse, uh, the stuff out there is amazing. So it's uh, an honor to just be at that level. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> man, I've been, I've been trailing through your cinemagraphs. It's, it's just, it's so fascinating. It's actually so, it's just like, it's just like you get into a trance just looking at them, you know? Yeah, it definitely does. But, you know, I, I have to say, I have to admit, I have an interesting subject uh, yes. that definitely plays into cinemagraphs. So yeah. uh, I'm kind of cheating in that sense. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you know, when cinemagraphs first came out a few years ago, you know, when I was, when it sort of became a thing, um, I made one, um, which was essentially like, I was basically, I had a floating Rubik's cube and it was like, turning uh -huh. and it was a floating above my hand so i made one of those um painstakingly in i can't remember in final cut pro i think i made it Ooh, wow <laughs> how time. many years ago was that uh well maybe like two three years oh, ago all right yeah how have i not seen this um it was it was actually it was a profile picture on on my facebook profile for yeah. a long time um but i i'm guessing it's it's a lot easier to to do now oh golly it's so i mean it's so easy and actually it's been easy uh, probably all the pain that you had just a few years ago could have been alleviated with a you know ten dollar program. So there you go. <laughs> it is it is amazing. Uh, I used to do them back in the day. I mean, my my start was actually in professional wise uh, in video. So I came from video to photography, and um, we used to have to do a lot of stuff as far as like masking and rotoscoping and and doing all this stuff back in the day that you really just don't have to do nowadays. The, the, yeah. the programs are so intuitive, but yeah, I use a lot of different programs. I mean, the, the one that I've really landed on for the cinemagraphs is Plotograph or uh, Plotiverse is actually the, the platform. Uh, mm -hmm. But the Plotograph software, uh, it's very easy to just set anchor points, mask out certain areas, and then set your animations. Um, and to the point of which then you just hit the export button, tell, you know, tell what resolutions you want or what platforms you're going to, and it'll just export your file. So hmm. it's really a lot of that mystery of them has been hmm. kind of demystified with the easy ease of these programs that are out there. And there's others, but they're definitely the one that I, I gravitate towards. But for those listeners um, and viewers who may not necessarily be aware what a, what a cinemagraph is, it's, it's essentially like an animated photograph. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, recently I shot a, um, uh, it's with the Imp Inspiration 4 launch. So it was four um, astronauts. Uh, they were private citizens or they weren't f uh, formally trained by NASA or a space mm -hmm. agency. They were actually trained by SpaceX, private citizens to be launched up. And one of those shots uh, where we had like a, it was, we call them nebula shots. It's kind of a, a shot that, uh, kind of came over years of just kind of working at it, but it's like the gases of the rocket are expanding uh, out into the upper atmosphere and you get this illumination effect uh, that's going on. And that lends itself to being animated very uh, easy. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, what was cool about that is that for that launch, we did that and um, we animated the still and it really went viral to the point at which we had like uh, new news agencies all over the world reaching out to my agency all the way to uh, Australia was one of the ones uh, hmm. down there that uh, ABC out of Australia picked it up as well and ran with it. So um, just had this cool effect where you could see the gases moving and the, the astronauts um, on top of that being launched out into space. So really cool. Well, so that's, that's the thing. Um, I mean, astrophotography obviously is a thing um, mm -hmm. that even I've heard of before and possibly <laughs> attempted once or twice, mm -hmm. miserably, badly. <laughs> but um, I mean, rocket photography, that's like a whole other level. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's it's definitely one of those uh, where you're getting down into very deep into a subgenre, right? You know, yeah. um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it, you know what it was is uh, it, it merges a lot of the things that I love. Um, I'm always a fan of with your photography. Um, and that's something that I figured out over my career is I gravitate back towards the things that are my passions or that I love. And that comes out in your work. If you're doing something that you really just you're, you don't enjoy or not into, um, it just, it, I think that infects your, your photography. Uh, and you can tell, I mean, not that, you know, you can't just do a job and all that, but it's, it's much better. Uh, for example, with me that I'm able to go capture something I love and make that part of, uh, my, mm. my living or my income as well. So it's really nice where I wouldn't have that same passion, you know, like I've tried out years before, I just don't have that same passion for wedding photography or portraits or uh, even, uh, I don't know, macro, you know, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I just don't have that kind of fire or that passion for it. But what I do have a passion for is uh, astrophotography, night photography, uh, mm -hmm. aviation photography, landscape photography, and that all kind of merged with rocket photography. So what happened with me was just, it was SpaceX that did it for me. Uh, I was I was always into the space program. I was always, you know, growing up in Florida, you know, you kind of become, um, you, you see rockets, your house shakes because the space shuttle comes over it. And, you know, you see rockets <laughs> launched from your backyard. So you just kind of like have that in you. But I was never really like super passionate about it. But I was really passionate about image making and capturing history and, and documenting our world. And when I saw what SpaceX and well, especially SpaceX, but others were doing uh, in the space, uh, it was back in 2015. I just said, Hey, I've got to go in. I've got to go all in on this. I got to share this story. I, and, and the images that were coming out at the time, they were very much just focused on the photojournalism of it. It was a shot of a rocket mm -hmm. lifting off. No, no real art to it or no real, like, like deeper meaning to the picture. It's just kind of like, it's, it's again, photojournalism. So I always try to like with, with my photography, my, my, my driving force has been to interject a little bit of that art into photojournalism uh, with my work. And that's why, you know, I, I get drawn to the things I get drawn to and mm. where I've landed to where I've landed, where I work with a creative agency. I work with my news outlet gives me the ability to do those creative things where I don't have to just get the photojournalism shot. I can do the bizarre thing that nobody else is doing that now has become a thing. And that's like those nebula shots. I mean, nobody was doing them years ago. I started doing it and now it's become a thing. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it, but that's cool to see that you're able to kind of like put a stamp and get people to kind of look beyond just that simple picture and look for a picture within the, the event. Would you say that that's all the same reasons why you shifted originally from video to photo? Um, because you, you could, I don't know, perhaps create an, uh, a single image more in keeping with something that you love versus perhaps a video of that. Yeah. Well, you know what I love, you know, I, I and I have, a, I have, a, I have a place for video. I, I think video is awesome, but I think what it is with photography is I love that single moment in time. It's like mm -hmm. that single frozen moment in time. I also love to give dimension to a two dimensional thing, you know, like to actually like, I like sculpt light, shape light. That's also why uh, I'm, I'm drawn to night launches or very, uh, it's why also I'll say that I tend to shoot from like when the sun's about to go down to where the sun's about to come up and I avoid every other time during the day. Uh, you know, so that's really just, I love light. I love shaping. I love capturing that in one frame. Not that you can't do that with video, but I love being able to tell that story in one frame. I've loved, um, the whole, you know, the whole idea of uh, space exploration ever since I was a kid. Also, just, it's sort of a, it runs in my family. My uncle is actually a bona fide um, uh, uh, space, well, rocket engineer, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, um, and, you know, from a, from a photographic point of view, I've always been extremely interested in, in that kind of imagery. And I think when you know, the first time I came across your images, um, it just it was blatantly obvious there was there was sort of another level to it. You know, it wasn't just a photojournalistic sort of depiction of the actual rocket launch. You know, there's there's a lot more to it. Especially when I, I came across um, one of your sort of most well known images, I think, which is um, which is the image of uh, it's sort of the launch trail, and you've got um, you've got like a hut. There's like got a beach, and you've got a hut on the left hand mm -hmm. side. Oh, the, the lifeguard stand. Yeah, yeah, the lifeguard yeah, stand. yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, and there's like uh, the the launch. Uh, the rocket is actually streaking across the frame over a yeah. period of time. Yeah, that was and, and see that's a perfect example of where uh, while everybody is doing like just like the here's the rocket lifting off the pad. You know, uh, my agency. I was like, you know, at that launch, it was they were they were launching something. Uh, the the payload the purpose of the payload was a uh, basically uh, a lifeboat or it was supposed to be something that we we're going to explore how to survive. And that's where I, I said to my editor, hey, lifeguard stand, what if we had the rocket like emanating from a lifeguard stand on the beach? Because, you know, looking at the trajectories, looking at everything, I knew where I could go and I could kind of get this shot. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. You know, uh, you know, let's not go get the boring shot that everybody, I mean, not, not that it's not cool. It's really cool to be three miles away from a rocket when it goes off, you know, <laughs> and there's, sure. there's 30 other 40 other photojournalists that'll be right next to me with the other, with their 400 millimeter, 800 millimeter lens, just like me. And we'll all get that shot and it's going to be awesome. But there's that next level of, yeah, but that's just documenting the launch. Like, what do we do to tell that story? Or what do we do to capture something that people haven't seen to inspire them that they mm. could one day do this? Because that's really kind of the, that's the goal with me is I really want to inspire other people uh, with the images, especially younger people to go, this is possible. 
I mean, I think it probably will be possible in my lifetime that we'll be able to somewhat readily available go to space. But the next generation beyond me, it's definitely going to be there where there's going to be opportunities. So getting people excited about that and seeing the, the beauty of that and the beauty of just our universe, I think it really helps us to see how small we are, to see our place in the universe, but then to realize how big of an impact we could have on that hmm. by the things that we do. And I hope that comes out sometimes in the images of just inspiring people to kind of like check out space and check out space exploration and, and, and space travel and stuff like that. See, I, th I thought it got really exciting when, you know, companies like SpaceX, uh, for example, um, and Blue Origin, you know, started popping up and it, all of a sudden it was, it wasn't just sort of government run agencies that, you know, went to space. The only thing that, that, that sort of frazzled me a little bit is like, why call it SpaceX? I mean, surely you should have called it something cool, like the Rebel Alliance or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, SpaceX? it was, it was weird as it was actually, I mean, Hey, you know, um, I don't know. I mean. Elon is is kind of like a he's a he's a he's the Tony Stark, right? He is definitely yeah, the Tony Stark yeah. of our generation, but um he's definitely one where sometimes you don't understand it. Like the, the company in the beginning was actually called Space Exploration Technologies. It still is. That is their official mm -hmm. name, is space exploration. And that's where SpaceX comes from, is space exploration. And mm -hmm. so it's better than space exploration technologies. <laughs> but so there you go so spacex and it's it's grown on me and it, it's oh, grown sure, on yeah. i think a lot of people but you know blue origin on the other hand i'm not sure about that one yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure i could get anywhere with that one no so. no no i mean the rockets look fun or the other one is uh, the like ula ula i don't i mean I, yeah that yeah. that doesn't inspire too much like spacex at least sounds kind of cool yeah it does yeah. sounds like nasa you know nasa sounds kind of cool yeah I mean, but surely, like, uh, you'd you'd call your first spaceship, you know, some like the Millennium Falcon or something. You just just have to, you know. Not, well, not funny story, funny story. <laughs> you know where the Falcon Nine gets its name from? Oh well, does it really? The Millennium Falcon. Well, there you that's go. Well, it, that's it. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> makes me actually, happy. you'd find in a lot of Elon's names or a lot of SpaceX's names, there is a lot of science fiction references. Yeah, um, He's big on that. He's big into the movie Spaceballs, which I'm into as well, you know, uh, and always, that, or the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, one of his favorite books that kind of weaves yeah. its way through. Uh, but even if you look at it, I mean, he just, his thing, like anybody that what their thing should be is I'm going to make a great product. Not yeah. I'm going to come up with a, I, he doesn't really spend any money on PR or any of that stuff or, or advertising. It's just basically like, I'm going to make a great product. Just like us as photographers, if we make great images, people will see them and, and more people will see them. And it, it's a process. It's not something that happens overnight, but we want to make great products. We just, a, a gimmick only lasts so long. Like if, yeah. you know what I mean? So. Although you did, yeah, you did do an image, a very similar image um, of her, off one of the rocket launches with the uh with i think it was a lego millennium falcon in the foreground yeah <laughs> and that was for that reason that i just talked about that's why we were telling the story of that again that weaving the stories of our our science fiction toy fantasies of when we were young are becoming realities and what it was is that was a launch where the falcon 9 rocket was taking off and then landing back and we had access 
uh, to set up a remote camera only like a mile and a half from the landing site. So that's where I had set out a uh, Lego Millennium Falcon. And that was the whole thing of uh, the story was about how our, um, again, our fantasies, our science fiction fantasies are becoming realities. So this mm. name of this rocket, the Falcon 9, is based on this Millennium Falcon toy that was part of our childhood that now we're landing rockets back on Earth, which, you know, just a few years earlier, the top scientists were telling SpaceX it couldn't be done. It was impossible. It will never happen. And then they're landing it. And that's why I say that in 2015, what really inspired me was seeing them land a rocket. When you, when you see that booster come down at the speed of sound, fire their engines, it just gracefully lands on the ground. And then you get smacked with those... Uh, sonic booms from the rocket re-entering the the atmosphere i mean it's it's powerful it's like wow we can do that if we can do that we can do a lot of things yeah, yeah. you know I, I remember that day actually because um because i remember i remember when they retired the space shuttle and i remember thinking <laughs> oh no that says we're not going back to the moon anytime soon you know because they kind of it felt at the time it felt like that mm -hmm. was it you know the space program was over <laughs> You know, and then, you know, and it then uh, then things like SpaceX come back and, you know, and now it seems to be really right back, you know, at the forefront of, um, of, of exploration. But, but that's only because there are a couple of individuals in the world who had the balls to go out there sure. and go, you know what, this has to be done. And there's a good reason for it being done. If those two individuals weren't on this planet or, well, there's three or four of them, I guess, these days, but then no one would be doing it. This it sounds like you're talking about us in the podcasting world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's right, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it just so happens that these people that got the drive to go and do it have a couple of couple of shekels between them. Yeah, that's not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely helps with something like space to have a, 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 a <laughs> yeah. large pocketbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And really cool spacesuits. I mean, that's the other thing. That's, that's the thing. You know, SpaceX, spacesuits, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's the thing, like... um and that's where we're again. My the agency I cover for Supercluster. Uh, if you haven't heard, you know, checked them out. Supercluster.com. Definitely check them out. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got, uh, but that's really our driving force is more about uh, making sure that space is looking cool and that space is for space is for everyone. That that it connects with everybody. Yeah. That it isn't just something that's very highly technical or does. There's no. Um, there's no care to how things look because that's a big thing with SpaceX or even Tesla. If you're going to say that, I mean, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's big on even the buildings look cool. Even the, the, uh, the launch pads look cool. I mean, why did, why did Elon spend all that money retrofitting a launch complex 49? I mean, or 39, it was doing fine. It launched the Apollo missions. It launched the space shuttle missions. But now it looks like a modern launch pad. And the reason being is that inspires people to do yeah. something. It, it, you know, if you're just like all old and it just looks like it's built in the 60s, it just doesn't inspire any confidence that Absolutely. this is the future. You know, yeah. I, I, was, I was having a very similar conversation about something totally different the other day about um, essentially buying gear. Right. 
and we were talking we were talking about music and guitars specifically and i got a new bass just a couple of years ago right and it it did just that it reinvigorated something inside me to go and better myself as a player again mm-hmm. and to try different things and to and and that's exactly what you know it's not buying new gear for the for the sake of it is I needed something else to refresh myself. And that's yeah. exactly the kind of thing it does. It's like working in an office that looks like it's from the sixties still with horrible fluorescent tubes going over your head or do the office up, make it feel more modern. What happens to your employees? You suddenly feel more inspired to be there and to work. You know, I say yeah. work hard just for the sake of it. But Actually, that's, that's totally true because that's exactly like throughout the lockdown here. Um, yeah, I don't know if you you probably you probably aware of this, but basically the UK was totally locked down at the yep, beginning of the yep. pandemic. Like we went into like full on national lockdown, and so everybody started working from home, including including myself. And um, and I, in order for me to actually feel happy and inspired in that space, I had to completely redesign my work area. You know, so I basically went out and I had I had a desk build and a you know and a, and and um, and uh, put new shelves up and lit the whole thing just so it would be an inspiring creative place for me to actually spend eight hours a day, you know, because before that I was sitting at an old ramshackle desk looking at the white wall and it wasn't particularly inspiring, oh, yep. <laughs> you know, um, but oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this sort of, it's this thing between functionality and design, Yeah, you know, think to be functional, but it does, it doesn't necessarily have to be inspiring. Yeah. Um, now I just want to come back to the to the original um, photograph um, of yours that we're talking about with the the lifeguard station and the mm-hmm. and the trail. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, I looked at that and I kind of thought, well, first of all, um, how how much how much um, uh, sort of pre work do you have to put into an image like that? Like, how much preparation goes into actually creating an image like that? I mean. Because on kind one of, hand, yeah. you can kind of think, do you just rock up and go like, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, yeah. launch pass over there somewhere. Or like, you know, how, how much um, prep do you put into images like that? Um, me personally, um, you know, it is definitely slanted towards pre-work more than shooting. Uh, the planning phase is my longest phase. Uh, that goes for all my styles of photography, you know, um, Except for maybe if I'm shooting an air show, I can do some planning, but it's very much kind of whatever's being brought uh, to the table a lot of times. Um, uh, I can study routines and stuff like that, but I can't really plan out where other things uh, that I shoot uh, like this, like this lifeguard stand, like that is a, we are planned out to a T. I know when exposures are going to start and stop. I know how it's going to be in the frame. Um, but all that's from, again, a lot of uh, painstaking research that has mm. become easier and easier and easier over the years to the point at which it's it's almost to the point where it's it's a great time to get into it because no longer do we have a lot of the struggles that we used to have, especially with the shots that we're talking about here. So the, the shot that we're talking about um, it's what we would call in the business a streak shot. It's something where the rocket is streaking across the frame. So you're getting that arch of the rocket as it's flying away from you. And because of the curvature of the earth, it actually curves through your frame. Again, a two-dimensional image or two-dimensional plane, a three-dimensional uh, world. 
it curves across the frame. So you get this arch. Well, the first thing with starting out is figuring out where I want to shoot my foreground. Is that going to line up with my background? Uh, where this came in for me, that just is like a very easy transition is I, I love shooting Milky Way landscapes. Well, if you get into shooting Milky Way landscapes, the concept of your foreground and your background lining up, it's kind of like a no-brainer. It's probably mm-hmm. the number one thing we do is I'm always looking at, well, is that to the south? Is my foreground, can I shoot to the south? Because if it's to the north, I'm never getting the Milky Way. So yeah. it's just like a common thing that you just, you know, you're figuring out. So with that, we're trying to figure out the launch pad location, given the frame we're wanting. Then we got to figure out, well, the trajectory of the rocket. Rockets have different trajectories. In this case, that image was uh, what we would call a geostationary orbit. So it was being launched to a spot on the Earth where it would stay in orbit around the planet at the same spot. Well, those those go towards the equator. So from my position or my vantage point, that means it's going to fly almost due east, a little bit southeast. So that means that that streak is going to go a certain way. Well, back in the day, actually, when I shot that, you had to kind of plan out and kind of go, well, here's where the Air Force has their uh, warning basically exclusion areas, the Air Force will say, you can't fly within these areas. You can't take boats within these areas. So that gave us a general idea of the path of the rocket. Then there's other things like, well, what orbit is it going to? How long it's going to uh, have a first stage or second stage burn? So all these things go into it. And then that we go back to that foreground had to line up with it. So the foreground lined up with it. The trajectory looked good okay, let's go try it. Now, the other thing, then we got to start monitoring a day before is, well, what are the clouds going to be like? What's the weather going to be like? Is it going to be able to launch? Uh, when we get out there, is there going to be other people that we're going to deal with? How are we going to you know, isolate our frames, stuff like that? So those are all things that go into it. And then the actual shooting is only uh, getting out to the location, setting up. Actually, the biggest time is getting the location early enough to set up to where you'll have no problems, right? And then you're out of location, you're all set up. The frame is only three, I think that's three minutes and 30 seconds or so. It's right uh, around that first stage burn for that rocket. So uh, that's that's the exposure time. And then then the only thing I did with that one is I did, that was a blend. So I took an exposure of the streak and then I took a, an ambient exposure, which is similar to like a night photography, uh, star photography shot, then comp those together, right? And then comping those together, it's just a matter of, because the camera's not moving, it's taking and just changing my blend mode on my streak shot to screen in Photoshop and boom, yeah. it's in there. So it's so really I, not. I thought that, you know, when I, when I was looking at it, we, we um, um, Nick, Nick and I have like throughout the pandemic, we've gotten into a light painting cars. Um, and so, you know, when I looked, when I looked at that shot, I kind of thought like, I bet, I mean, this looks to me like the, uh, the, the lifeguard station has been sort of light painted in a little bit. Um, and then of course I came across another shot of yours, which had three Teslas lined up with a rocket streak. Yes. So, and then, you know, cause there's a certain look to light painted cars and you kind of go, you know, those cars were, those cars were light painted and the lifeguard station was not the lifeguard station was the ambient light from Cocoa Beach right. directs that way and bays the... That's one of the advantages of that spot was that it bays kind of the scene with that 
light mm-hmm. pollution, but that kind of right. blends the scene very well. So where mm-hmm. you could light paint it, and that's where you know I do do either. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I love actually with the Milky Way doing low level light Ooh. painting, uh, where you actually take a very dim light. Mm-hmm. and put it over your whole exposure and you could do the same thing with that i've done that actually with rocket shots as well where you light paint the foreground at the same exposure settings as you would the entire shot so it's just one shot all exposed but you're only putting out like a little little bit of light like small like you know seven ten lumens worth of light you know so very dim um, but yeah, that's that's what you, that's what it was. There, it was just you know the the rocket, and then the the foreground blended together, uh, just one exposure after another. Hmm. So, how do you determine um, your your exposure time? I mean, how 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 do you know how like how do you know how fast that rocket is going to fly? Do you know what I mean? I mean, how like yeah. how do you predetermine that? So we well we used to. I'm telling you what we used to do. Uh, this is so much easier nowadays. Uh, so we used to have to study the press kits. They'd actually have all the stuff in there as far as the first stage burns, second stage burns. Then we also know, uh, based on different rockets and their trims, what their first stage and second stage burns. However, I say all that. There's an app now developed <laughs> online. Uh, it's called Flight Club, flightclub.io. And it's actually right. written uh, by a guy that I know, Declan. And Declan is a theoretical physicist. And what he did was just basically reverse engineer the flight pass of the rocket through physics, wrote a program that basically would, with all the information that we know, like thrust to weight ratios, the, the payload capacities, and he'd figure out the trajectories and all that stuff, put it into the software simulation and started doing that. And it would get, it was like pretty good. And then it was like really scary good. And now it's to the point where people are getting, uh, and I, I've, I've tried this before, but uh, it didn't work out, but people are actually able to take that software and get transit shots where he's figured out uh, you know, the trajectory so well that you can actually get the moon transiting in front of the rocket or the sun transiting oh, in front of the oh, rocket wow. because it's so accurate. But again, he is just doing math and yeah. just running a computer simulation. And it, it, I love it because nowadays that opens it up to so many people that wouldn't want to go through that process of, you know, it used to be hours. And now I can plan out a shot with that software in maybe 30 minutes. You know, it's just That's a matter wow. of finding spots and plugging in trajectories and plugging it. And even I could plug in what equipment I'm using. I could say, yeah. I want to shoot this on a Canon full frame. I want to <laughs> shoot this on a with a 15 millimeter lens. And it'll show you a 3D visualization of what that is using Google oh, Maps. That's, that's, that's like totally, that's like, that's like pre, previs. Yeah, yep, it's that's what that's exactly what it is. It's previs. Yeah. What we used to do or storyboarding back in video, yeah. you know. You storyboard, you previs. I was you're so you're able to pre-visualize your streak before mm. you even go shoot it. And I think that's yeah. awesome that we've got to that point. <laughs> yeah, it used to be the old way, you know, do it. I feel like the old way was like I was doing it with film before, you know, mm. and now it's like the new way and it's the modern way, and it's so easy. But I love that. I love I mean, a lot of people are upset that it has become so easy for people to do. Um but I'm kind of like, hey, more people can get into this, the more people can try it, the better. 
the, the, the easier it is for people to get into it and do it and start creating amazing images, that's when things start will start to move forward again and we'll yep. start you know trying to be even more creative and to do something different and to you know push that. I hate using this word, but I push that envelope of how these images look, right? Well, but you can yeah. you can really take that, you know, in a very in, in a more simplified way. Um, take you know, take an app like Photopills, for example. You know, like how many times have I tried to work out based on like the you know iOS weather app when <laughs> you know golden hour is going to be tomorrow? you know, or next week or something. And now it's so, it's so much Sometimes easier. Sometimes between 1 p.m. Yeah. and 8 p.m. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and it's, but, you know, something like an eight, basically like photo pills, for instance, makes, makes that so much easier. You know, it's like, oh, and it absolutely. gives you a whole, yeah, and it gives you a absolutely. whole range of other additional features that are just awesome to have in like one app. Mm. So again, you know, you don't need to like calculate things like, I don't know, depth of field or God knows what. I'm I'm still amazed that someone's created an app for rocket launches like that because it's such a niche, such <laughs> a niche. Awesome, yeah, yeah, it's great. Though. But I'll tell well, you what: amazing. if you're into it and you want to know all the details about it, it is it's amazing. It is amazing, yeah, yeah. and that's what it comes down to. It is a niche, but you got to also think there's a lot of people that just love. They're very enthusiastic about Absolutely. space launches, space exploration. Yeah. So these people are into it as well, where they want to see from their location, like when it, I mean, to the point of now, uh, just the other day, I was out of town, but um, a couple of my friends, you know, we were chatting back and forth and, um, and there are other photographers that cover launches as well. And uh, the Dragon capsule was coming back over the state of Florida and the state of Georgia. Well, through again, Flight Club, we could actually track the entry point of the vehicle and actually plan a frame where they were able to get the plasma streak of the capsule coming back oh, and landing God. in the ocean, you know, and that's <laughs> no the kind of stuff way. that you would really, you'd have to have an inside like connection, which a lot of that stuff used to be very secretive because of this mm -hmm. top secret, you know, they didn't want to share any of that information and still it's a little secretive, but it's cool that we have that ability to capture things like, you know, you know, one of the friends, he drove up, you know, hours away from, you know, where we were at, you know, mm. way up north to get this frame where the rocket's streaking across with the foreground, you know, and it's, but it's really awesome to see because you, when you look at that image, it's like, that's not a shooting star. That's not a meteor. That is a capsule coming back from the International Space Station carrying scientific research that is going to get picked up by a helicopter in just a matter of minutes. Yeah. Just crazy. But I just find it fascinating, oh, you know, because man. often you look at you look at imagery uh, and you sort of think, well, either that's a lucky shot or, you know, somebody was just at the right place at the right time. And then when you realize how much prep actually has to go into creating an image like that and whether that's, you know, whether that's by the use of an app or whatever it may be, um, I just find it really fascinating um, to, to kind of, you know, to see behind the scenes. I mean, you know. For us over here, of course, in Europe, you know, uh, rocket launches are so alien, literally, that I guess, you know, if I was if I was stood on the beach and I saw a rocket go off, I think I'd totally forget to hit the shutter button. <laughs> you know, I think most like, people do on their first rocket launch, they actually yeah. do forget to hit the shutter button because it's just overwhelming. It's yeah. amazing. It's a in fact, I would tell people the first time they come to watch a rocket launch, 
would be not to take any pictures of it just take yeah, it yeah. in you know because yeah. it is um it is amazing how the whole earth shakes and the ground shakes and especially at night it becomes daylight it just it's like yeah. a mini sun that illuminates the whole world it's crazy how many rocket launches do you think you've seen now in person oh uh, i'm i'm over a hundred so <sighs> Now, the closest I've been, again, well, the closest I've been is 1.3 miles. And that was, that was the loudest. I mean, that was actually getting to that unhealthy range where I was like, this doesn't, this feels like your whole chest and it's just compressing and it it feels a little bit kind of like, ah, maybe this is a little close, but it was amazing. (laughs) I mean, so this is, this is actually the other thing that I find really intriguing is, you know, access obviously mm-hmm. um how do you like do you get special access for for rocket launches generally and how does that work yeah so um you do have to get special access to go and some of the places um that we shoot uh obviously anytime we're on the the uh nasa or the air force bases uh there's a well it's a space force base now uh but space force bases nasa property <laughs> um that kind of stuff um uh, we yeah. do have to get we do have to get access um but that's all done through um it's just uh it's photojournalism so yeah. you're basically applying for credentialing you're going through the credentialing process um i think where people sometimes get tripped up is they they go hey i want to go shoot a rocket launch so immediately they go to let me become a credentialed media person person you know and like all that and that's like the worst thing you can do it's like anything like um, in fact, I tell that story of when uh, one of the big launches we were at, um, uh, uh, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but a big company with a lot of money that, you know, produces great videos, uh, usually in that documentary realm that, you know, has a, a worldwide presence, sends a big crew to cover these launches, you know, and uh, they walk away and they start contacting us saying, Hey, uh, our guy's footage is all blown out. Nothing's exposed, right? Do you guys have anything that we can use? Because they sent people that have never shot a launch before. They don't understand anything about it. And it's not that they weren't great cinematographers. It's not that they weren't great photographers. It's that whole thing of you have to kind of cut your teeth or just get that experience under your belt but especially with the, with those type of genres where you're really in a specialized area where it's mm-hmm. not something. The other thing that I think people don't run, understand is we don't get any practice. You know, mm-hmm. our practice <laughs> is the launch. If we want to experiment with something, it's done at a launch. They don't set off like a rocket to go, hey, go experiment with your exposures. We're going to send up an $80 million rocket, you know, so you yeah. guys can just test out your exposures. Like we have to just, practice and get that experience and figure out settings and figure out exposures and and different and then we have varying light conditions and learning how to deal with that so say all that to say like that's where you have to go is you have to kind of cut your teeth if you want to get into it by shooting as close as you can shooting off property uh getting uh the understanding of what's going on and then working yourself up to where you can say hey here's my portfolio of work news agency would you credential me you know would you hire me to do this job you know but i think people immediately go to and then and then the other thing people immediately go to with me is they'll go well it's because you have the access that you get that shot and it's like well 
Yeah, it is the access, but it's also all the work that we did to get to the point of getting the access that gets the shot. Because I guarantee if I stick a I stick somebody out there and say, here's the equipment, go to town. What's going to happen is that same thing that happened to that big company that's spending millions of dollars. They get everything set up and they walk back with nothing because they didn't they they don't believe me when I say the rocket engine exposure is going to be one eight thousandth of a second at F eleven at ISO one hundred, yeah. and they're like, no, that's going to be a black frame, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> go for it, <laughs> and then they come back with just a white frame. Excellent. So. <laughs> do you um back in the day or even still do you shoot shoot with multiple bodies with perhaps varied varied settings, um, yes, varied frames, yes. perhaps. Yeah, so you got to think with uh, it's 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 not the it's it's not the cheapest to cover, um, mm. you know, because it's one of those things where uh, each camera is usually one shot. So my agency will want four shots a launch. That's kind of what we're contracted for. Um, now, then a lot of times we can deliver more than that, or then we can uh, work with other agencies as well, but. You know, if they want four shots, right? That means I gotta have four separate cameras covering this, and then I gotta make sure that all four cameras work. So a lot of times, that's why I'm usually rolling out with like six cameras, you know. And mm-hmm. it is, it's, but it, you know what it usually is? Old bodies. Uh, every piece mm-hmm. of my gear that I take out there is all used. Mostly 5D Mark IIs, 7Ds is another popular one. Okay. 7D Mark II. Um, those, those kind of bodies. Um, so yeah, the images you see on my, my Instagram, my website, they're all kind of, uh, most of them are probably going to be from 5d Mark two or seven D. Um, those are kind of the, those are the workhorses that go out to the pads. Like if it's a, if it's a close rocket shot, because I cannot break those, I I just, I've tried to break them and they just don't break. They just keep on firing. And that's the point at which I say, I'll replace it when it breaks, you know, because at the end of the day, they really are just cameras as long as you got the resolution and as long as you got the right settings. Yeah. A mirrorless will be a little better. Yeah. This brand new body would be a little better, but it's not going to be astronomically better. It's going to be a little, you know, especially with the rocket cause you're shooting most of the time at low ISOs cause it's putting off so much light. Yeah. It's, it, you just add, it will add just a touch of convenience for you more than anything else. I think yeah, yeah. What, yeah. your images are absolute proof that, these bodies used to take a fantastic shot. These bodies still take a fantastic shot. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not like it's not like you know, um, we we didn't know how to how to create great imagery before the Canon R three came out. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, so I mean, that's you know, that's the thing, you know. And plus, I mean, with, with what you do, you don't need a lot of the gimmickry. Like you don't need you know, I autofocus, <laughs> I focus, you yeah, know, yeah. any any of that kind of jazz because it's it doesn't really apply. When's when so, uh, does the R3 have rocket focus? I forget. <laughs> yeah, probably just the next thing. Uh, <laughs> rocket focus. That'd be that uh, that actually seems like something Canon would do. They'd like yeah. go so specific. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be, be like what? Face, eye, eagle, rocket, nostril. Yeah. Nostril. I love it. Yeah. Come on, Canon. If you do hey, we need this. David Perry, there if you, you are listening. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, no, um, it's so funny, you know, along those lines, that's where, you know, uh, you know, it's not like I don't a lot of times even have access to some of the other gear. Like I could borrow it from people or I could get mm-hmm. it from people. 
it's just at the end of the day, I'm just looking for reliability and not to say, I mean, and that's honestly what keeps me shooting what I'm shooting is, it's just the reliability and because can't, gear and camera bodies like i i hate talking about that because honestly i mean it, they're yeah. all great they're all going to capture great images i mean i just i i just i uh it's a, it's, a, it's kind of like a black hole of photography where you start getting to like arguing over which body is better or which lens is better it's yeah, just absolutely it's just go make images yeah yeah, that's uh, that's exactly the thing. I mean, it's it, you know everybody's photography is so so different um, as well. It's very difficult to to sort of pinpoint. You know, it's this this thing like when somebody asks you like, oh, what you know, the, the age old, what camera should I get? Well, I don't know. You know <laughs> what do you want to do with it? <laughs> yeah. You know, if that's a question, yeah, what, what f stop should I shoot at? I'm like, it matters. <laughs> it totally matters. <laughs> what are we shooting? Yeah, exactly. Um. Talking about f-stops, actually, we, we never really talk about f-stops on this. Um, not, not once, not ever. So, you know, as you've probably figured out, really, you know, um, the, the fact that this is, I mean, photography is really just a preamble for us to basically have a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, there you go. It's basically, you know what it is. Same goes for us. Same goes for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but there's this one thing I did actually attempt in the past, and that is sort of Star Trail night photography, and uh, and I miserably failed at that. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I couldn't find the Milky Way. I don't. I actually don't think we can see the Milky Way from where you we can't are. see sh- in in the UK. Well, yeah. in certainly in the southeast of England where we are, you cannot see it here. Yeah. I think I may have seen a glimpse of it once. But uh, the only time I've ever been able to see it is going over into Europe and Mm. in some of the open areas near the Mediterranean. There's a story. I went to, um, my wife and I went uh, to a wedding in the south of France. Um, It was outside of Toulouse, so right in the countryside. And uh, we we landed uh, relatively late and had to get a hire car. And it was like a four-hour drive to the chateau where the the, the wedding was happening. And so we're driving and it was like about midnight, one o'clock or something in the morning. And uh, we were driving through this through this forest, and I look up, and I saw the most incredible starry sky. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was insane. There was no light pollution. It was just like every single star there is decided to come out. It was just nuts. And so I stopped the car, you know, in the middle of this forest. I got out, and I, I told my wife to get out of the car and look up. And <laughs> she kind of looked up, got scared, and got straight back in the car. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because apparently there were too many, too many weird noises in the forest. Uh, right. but like, it is I'm, very true. Very you know, true. When you're out there, there in like, the totally dark, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's scary. It's scary, especially uh, shooting here in Florida. There's a lot of noises. A lot of noises. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 And was was Dave Williams there making Sasquatch sounds? He, he probably jumped out of the. Yeah, he was probably in the woods. He was there planting those, those uh, footprints. <laughs> I still think he planted those. We, we spent a night with Dave Williams uh, in in the middle can, of nowhere. Can you rephrase that? <laughs> well, we did. We did. Oh, God, God bless you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we did uh, we did an episode with him um, out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, so because he just finished his band, and you know, we decided yeah. there would be a great opportunity to actually meet up out in the stick somewhere, and uh, you know, and, and do an episode around the van, basically. And so we ended up, uh, yeah, literally. Near the Welsh, well, it was near the Welsh border. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, like out in out in the forest, somewhere. Um, and and again, there were plenty of noises. And he kept telling us these, these Sasquatch stories, so you know, we got slightly freaked out. 
There you go. <laughs> <laughs> At that point. But um, coming back to the uh, the Milky Way stroke, um, you know, uh, star <laughs> photography. <laughs> That thing. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I'm sorry. All I heard was Milky Stroke, and it's just <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's that's really the, that's the one thing I you know I can sort of sympathise with in, in the sense that, that uh, you know I've tried it, I miserably failed at it, um, and so I thought I'd take this opportunity to get some advice from you on uh, how to get a great night sky image. All right. So I think with this, this is another thing. It, it's just. It used to be really hard. It's mm. so easy now. Uh, I am a big fan. You already talked about it. Photo pills. That is the app. I mean, really, honestly, what you do is you 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 just get yourself out to a dark sky location. And when I say dark sky location, you guys say, and eh, England. I've seen some shots from England. You guys, it's just a matter of taking the effort to get right out there mm. at the edge. And it is an inconvenience. It's definitely one of those genres that don't get into it because you like sleep. You know, it's definitely <laughs> going to be one of those where it, it, it messes yeah. with your sleep because right. you're having to go out and really do stuff at odd hours and odd set settings and, and, and not ideal. It's you're it's dark. Um, you're, you're usually out in very weird remote places. So it's definitely not one of those things that's, that's very easy to do. But I think once you do it, that's what getting over the, the the hurdle. So really, when you get down the settings, photo pills will allow you to when you get on the location to hit your hit your coordinate that where you are, and then hit this little button that says night augmented reality, night AR. It's night augmented reality, and you'll be able to hold your camera up and move it around and actually see where the Milky Way is. Because your eyes don't really fully adjust when you first get to a location and you can't really tell. And photo pills will nail it. It'll go like, hey, the Milky Way is right over here and it's right there. As long as you got clear skies and you can see stars, that Milky Way is going to come out. You can do a lot of things. But again, as long as you're in a lower, you know, we have a scale. Uh, that we measure stuff by. And, and I figure it's a Bortle scale is what it's called. And it, it goes from one to nine well where i live uh you know it's an eight or a nine so i'm never gonna capture the milky way here but i can go two and a half hours from here and i could be in a bordel four or five transition point and perfectly capture the milky way a lot of times it has to do with the direction that you're shooting for example uh where you guys are if you are on the southern part of the island so you were looking towards the south, looking off into the, the channel there or into mm -hmm. the ocean. You've got little light pollution going in, in, forward in your frame. So all the light pollution is coming from behind you. So that's the first thing is getting yourself to a place that's ideal to shoot. Then finding that location. Then all it's a matter of doing is that your first time is really setting your camera up for success. So what it, it has to do is, what is your widest lens with your uh, widest aperture? So do you have an F16 2.8? You're gonna be great. If your lowest aperture is maybe four, you're gonna be okay. If it's anything above four, it's probably gonna be hard for you to capture it. Right. So if you got an F2.8 and an F4, you open it up all the way, you take your focus and you just go to infinity at first. 
Now you're not going to do this forever. You're going to get to where you understand that the stars are a little past infinity and you're going to actually mm. start using your live view and zooming in. But at first, again, we're keeping it simple. We're going to go wide open. We're going to focus to infinity. We're going to go into manual mode. We're going to set our exposure to 30 seconds and, and then we're going to fire it, uh, fire that frame for 30 seconds at ISO 6,400. So we're just going to go 6,400, 30 seconds at, at, at infinity, and we're going to fire it towards the Milky Way. And I guarantee when you get done with that frame, if it's clear skies and the Milky Way is there, you're going to have this reaction of, oh my gosh, what is that? Because it's going to look like like what's over my shoulder over here. I mean, that's 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 kind of what it's going to look like. Now you're going to, from there get infected by it and you're going to become consumed with it and you're going to start dialing everything in. Then you're going to start using star trackers and you're going to do all this craziness because you're going to get addicted to it. And that's what, that's how it was for me at least is, you know, once you start getting into it and and that's happened countlessly with me, with people, I just had it happen. I was at a workshop uh, teaching in uh, South Dakota. So we were up in South Dakota and we had people out on this, uh, this um, we were shooting a barn and there was this barn and we had the Milky Way there. And we, we again, we knew, I knew it was going to be there. I knew it was going to work. I knew everybody, hey, here's, set your cameras here and, and point in this direction and, and set it up. And then you hear that shutter kind of close and you get that reaction. Whoa, what's that? That's amazing. <laughs> then you hear another person, the shutter, you know, clicks down. They're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, and it's just, that's what it is, is it's just yeah. getting to where I think the thing that people um have a trouble with with milky way photography is that iso number they get consumed with not going over like 1600 iso or they get consumed with noise and at first just start letting in that light keep it very simple and then as you move with your milky way photographer you might start dropping down to 3200 iso you might Mm -hmm. because you might end up having a lens that's wider than 2.8 and you can drop it down a little bit you might get an f2 lens or an f 1.4 lens you know stuff like that so that's at first it's just keeping it wide open boosting your iso keeping it open for that 30 seconds in manual and focusing to infinity and then you're gonna again from there you'll start dialing back down 30 seconds you're gonna start getting star trails but at first they're going to be so minuscule that you're going to notice them. It's only when you start getting into it. And it's only other photographers, other astrophotographers that notice noise and star trails and all this other stuff that we, we obsess about. You know, no person that's looking at your photo is like, oh, man, if they exposed that at 20 seconds, they would have actually uh, recognized the MPF rule. And, and that would have got them sharp stars, you know, and it's like, you no, know, that's what a photographer would say. That's not other people go, wow, that's amazing. You shot that in, in England or wow, you shot that in Florida. That's the shot right behind me. That's, uh, that's from the panhandle of Florida. That's right in the middle of, I mean, light pollution central, you know, but Mm. it's just you, you're a couple hours away from light pollution and you're shooting towards the, uh, ocean. Just in those couple of minutes of you just, yeah, describing what you just described, I really want to go out and do it. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. You made it. You made it see, seem so achievable. You know, to, it, it, to get really going. Is. And you're absolutely right. It is, man. It really is. I mean, I and, and and honestly, if you're into like 
the other thing that's really cool and i see like i'm really passionate about rocket photography but i'm like super passionate about night photography like i love milky way i love night photography and uh unfortunately right now we're coming out of the season uh well a season for that core so that thing that's glowing over my shoulder that core that's starting to go below the horizon when it's daylight so or so so during night, it's not visible. It's below the horizon. Uh, um, so there's different seasons for it. But that doesn't mean that you can't see the Milky Way all throughout the winter. It's just you're seeing the tail of it. You won't see that like big glowing section of it. Mm-hmm. But this is a great time for people to practice and get mm-hmm. good. So that way next year, come March, when it rises again, you're ready to just like go right at it. Because you can still shoot it. It's just going to be the tail of it. You're going to get like a fainter kind of Milky Way to your shot. And it's going to line up a little different. But again, the same settings apply. It doesn't matter. What's cool about night is it's if it's dark, it's dark. Like the mm-hmm. same settings apply. The things I told you yeah. work if it's night uh, and you're shooting the Milky Way and it's this month or that month or whatever. And the light so doesn't very change unfortunate much. that the uh, the Milky Way season is in the summer where, you know, the nights are shorter anyway. So you get less time yes. to get a good picture. <laughs> Especially the farther the farther north you are. And that's the one thing is, you know, it helps with me. Uh, I say my season's coming to close. I can shoot in Florida all the way up till November because we're at a, such a low latitude. If you're in the southern hemisphere, forget it. You've got way extra time, you know, mm-hmm. because you're in the southern. But the farther north you get, that's why... Uh, Spoiler alert, if you ever see a shot from Iceland that has the Milky Way core in it, it is fake. It cannot happen. At that high of a latitude, the core never gets above the horizon, like fully. So if at least never gets above the horizon fully at night is what I'm saying, where it could be absolutely a night shot. Yeah, it could be you could see it. You can't see it during the day, but it's up during the day. And that's what happens. The daylight just drowns it out. So that's where if you start seeing Milky Way shots from Iceland or upper Norway or upper Alaska, like those are just fake. They're just, they're, that's not possible. Hope you're listening, Dave. Dave, did you do this, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, I've seen a lot of people do it. Now, if you go again to the Southern Hemisphere, that's where you can get winter shots because mm-hmm. in the Southern Hemisphere, we're opposite. So the Southern Hemisphere, you get longer nights in the, in the winter, but that's actually when the Milky Way core is up. So really, the the awesome thing for Milky Way photography is to get to the Southern Hemisphere for those unique shots that you can't get because you can't get winter shots uh, here with the Milky Way. You can't get um, shots where the Milky Way's across the horizon at, at certain times of the year where in the Southern Hemisphere you can't. So mm. it's really cool. Australia? Yeah, I've been, I've been once. I need to visit my brother again. So, there you go. Yeah. Body time. <laughs> done there you go seriously i'm i'm gonna you know it, it's one of those even if you you don't get a milky way who cares like you say go out and practice and try it out and if you can get a sky that looks uh, like what's behind you right now with without the milky way in it without you know the planets and whatnot it's great you, mm-hmm. you're nailing what you're you're going to be doing when it's season again you can this is a good time to, to practice star trails and increase that um yeah. Yeah, that shut shut a time. Um, yeah, what are you doing tonight? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> 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 
you're, um, you're driving, man. Oh, mm. oh there, was a, there was another... Uh, <laughs> yeah, driving. We're in the middle of a petrol crisis. So there's no gas oh, around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I have an electric car, so that doesn't affect me as much. See, this is what I kept saying. So this is like, this is age-old discussion between Nick and I. So it, currently, um, as we're recording this, um, and of course this, this, episode will actually, this episode will actually go out um, in a few weeks' time. So maybe or maybe not, uh, we, we'll be past the, the petrol crisis over here. But currently, as we're recording this, uh, we, we're having a petrol crisis in the UK, which yeah. basically means the, the gas stations all dry. And they can't get, there's a driver shortage and they can't get the trucks to uh, basically service gas stations. And and so (laughs) therefore, uh, we can't get any gas. And and why why don't we have those drivers? Why is that? It's Oh, yeah, it's definitely... Some weird thing that happens? Definitely not because of Brexit, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Mm. Oh, boy, let's Let's not not get into politics. Yeah, (laughs) no, no. Let's let's not. (laughs) Crazy. Let's leave that to Twitter. Let's leave that to Twitter. Exactly. But um, but not, yeah, not just fuel. We're also having a pasta crisis. Oh, oh, and I went into the supermarket for the first time in like two weeks today. Nothing. Oh, also we're having wow. a turkey crisis. This is the other thing, right? So Christmas, forget about turkeys. It's not going to happen over here. Wow. Oh, oh, guess <laughs> where? No, we are. We can guess where they're being imported from. What's that? Europe. <laughs> <laughs> you know I that place. Yeah, we used to be part of. Yeah, Nuts. that one. Yeah. So we're we're one million turkeys short currently. Can you believe it? Is that right? Is that right? Is that what it is? Wow. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> coming back to mm. coming back to the the subject, you know, the vague subject of of uh, photography. There's there's one other shot I, I wanted to um, uh, talk to you about. And that's that's the uh, the the nebula thing because I'm not really sure what I'm looking at there. It's like it's yeah. so fascinating that shot. I'm like, what is this? Is this like a space nebula, or is it like? I've a- definitely seen it in Star Trek. This was one of the shots that um, I remember starting out and some of the old, old timers, I call them, you know, they're old guys have been around, you know, I've been here since the Apollo days, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they kind of go like, well, what are you doing? Like, I'd be shooting way past when everybody else was shooting. You know, I'd be, I'd be trying new things, trying new settings, and I could see something was happening. And this, again, was where my Milky Way experience comes in where you you know with the milky way you'll start seeing this like cloudy muddy kind of like thing in the sky and you'll be like Mm -hmm. what is that and then when you start realizing oh that's the milky way and then you point your camera at it and you take an exposure and you hype up that iso and you take that shutter speed and make it really long these colors start coming out of it and they start popping Mm -hmm. and i was like i could see the same thing happening with rockets when they got at, at, during twilight or at night, especially at night when they would do these boost backs. So SpaceX would do these landings. There'd be all these gases mixing, mixing up there. And I'd be like, hey, this looks like how the Milky Way would look. I bet I could capture something. So what I started doing is just experimenting with different settings and start experimenting with stuff. And then um, again, I kind of get poked fun at you know of like oh that guy doesn't know what he's doing he he's only been out here a couple years he must be just an amateur blah 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 and then i started getting it dialed in and i started showing my editor what i was doing and he's like man we we gotta like how do we how do we capture this and i'm like i just i gotta get the right launch so then we hit this launch where it was doing a boost back and i caught this image and it just it, it it blew up where it was like, wow, I can't believe that that's what's going on up there. 
And then the image you're talking about that has like the it's the, the capsule um, going up and then there's like this big nebulous gas up at the top of the image. So then there's these two things happen. That was actually a Falcon Heavy launch. So that was the SpaceX bigger rocket that had two side boosters that would come back to land. So what happened was uh, you'd have the main uh, booster going off into space, which is on the bottom of the image. There's like a point and that's the main booster going off into space. The top of the image is actually the other boosters turning back and they're burning their engines as well. So what ends up happening is all those gases that are up in the upper atmosphere get lit up by the rocket exhaust. So the, mm-hmm. the light emanating from the rocket and it starts mixing. And, and because it's very loose upper atmosphere, almost basically on the edge of space, uh, these gases expand drastically. They have no resistance. They don't. They so they're kind of just like growing almost. It's like just like like emanating, and it just grows. So that becomes this frame up there, and that that frame that you're seeing is actually that is a full frame of a 400 millimeter. So I'm in at 400 millimeters, and that is not cropped. That is actually how big it is in the sky. That it is huge. I mean, if you think about it, if you zoom in your 400 millimeters at the moon and take a picture of the moon and see how small the moon is at 400 millimeters, imagine a rocket exhaust and gases filling up that entire frame. And that's what happens. And it's just, it's amazing to see. So then we were able to capture that. And now that's become a thing. That's become like a whole kind of shot that, that photographers go after now because of that and a lot of times recently my 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 colleagues have started to get it and it's the Mm -hmm. colleagues that actually believed me and Mm -hmm. uh, when i say that it's i'll tell them they'll ask me about it i'm a teacher i'm a trainer i i have no problem with telling you what settings i have no problem telling you how long how i shot it what camera whatever um and i tell i tell they'd ask and there's tons of photographers like, no way, I can't, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not, I can't boost my ISO that high. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that, you know, and, and just nobody would get it. And then when somebody started, you know, some of my friends, well, like folks, colleagues started doing it they started going, wow, that's, that's working. And now I'm going to go a little farther and now I'm going to go a little farther to the point at which now it's become again, like it's become a shot that people go after but it's just one of those things where that's where seeing something and then pushing yourself and pushing your settings and pushing your technique to the point of being able to capture it. That's what allows you to do it. It's not always just a formula. That was a formula that was created. You know, there was no, I didn't have anybody to practice. I didn't have any way to practice it literally. And it, it, the only practice I did with that was Milky Way photography, but then it was kind of like reverse engineering that because I had to get it to where my shutter speed would be so low that it would freeze the stars and freeze the rocket from moving and not blur, but long enough to let in enough light to where you would capture the colors and all the detail that's up there, but just long enough to where that didn't cause it to like look like some like um, slow panning shot. So it was just like finding this magic formula of the settings and and the technique. And then now it's got to the point where it's getting to where I'm just trying new things now and trying 
different things to, to make it even more interesting. So, um, so given that, that's kind given of the process. You, I mean, given that you don't exactly have a lot of opportunities to practice that as, you know, um, did you, did you literally just note down your settings and then just basically debrief yourself afterwards when, and, you know, and go like, well, that didn't work or maybe I'm going to try this next time. Was that the process? Yeah, a lot yeah. of times what it is, is I'd find a launch that was very similar to it or that I knew the first stage burn, it might not do a burst back, but the first stage burn is going to go up. So I'm going to see like, and what I do is just roll through settings. I'd be like, okay, what happens? And I'd just be shooting and rolling my ISO. I'd be shooting and rolling. I'd be in manual mode basically and just kind of rolling through settings. So then later I could go back and go, wow, you know, when I had it on, uh, when I was letting in this amount of light, when I was, uh, you know, using a, this kind of support and I was at these settings, it looked better than these settings. So that helped me kind of dial it in. So a lot of it is just, you know, <clears throat> guessing and practice and just getting it down to where you can just rinse, repeat. And that's where we're at now to where I could hmm. tell you, just like the Milky Way, I mean, there's a certain threshold of settings at night. And if you get within this threshold and and you can, it, it's all a matter of how slow you can shoot but still frame it up and keep it steady. It's just, it's an equation and that's where it gets down to. It's just a, just a matter of the settings, you know, and yeah. you can capture it. You know, what I particularly love about that, that story is that you'll, you know, yeah, half of your colleagues going, no, 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 no. And <laughs> the other half, you know, go, mm, maybe I'm, but I can't do it. And once you explain the sentence to them, they've gone it and they've started to get it. Mm. That's going to set off other little kind of, I don't know. Um, I can't think of the word right now. I was going to say like bells or, or whatever, something in their head going, oh, yep. but now I could go and try this in this way. And it's going to, it might set them off on a, a whole new path of thinking about the way that they're taking, mm. um, taking their photos out there. And that's very, very cool that you're, you've been able to spark that in those people. Mm. You know, I sort of had the, almost like the exact opposite experience uh, because my, you know, I started my photography life in concert photography. And, uh, and so I learned how to shoot under really weird lighting conditions, like basically in very low light situations. And so I, you know, I got used to, um, shooting at 3,200 ISO, you know, um, at like 2.8. And I remember, um, I remember when, you know, I went from shooting concerts to actually shooting in daylight, <laughs> you know, and I used to think somebody used to say to me, well, you know, just set F8 and that's, you know, usually you'd be fine. And I'm like, F8? No way I can shoot at F8. Everything's going to be black. There's no way I'll be able to see anything at F8. Because in a concert situation, that is what happens. You know, yeah. F8 is not going to, you're not going to do anything. Um, and so I, I could totally, um, I can, I can sort of empathize, 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 can't say the word, um, with, with the idea of having to get over that yep. mental yep. obstacle, you know, and, and actually just let loose and just do it and see what happens, you know. I think that's the hardest thing with photography is when we get that mental block mm-hmm. that, and, and it is, it's like releasing yourself to say, Hey, maybe I can shoot in broad daylight mm. at F 2.8. Maybe I can. Uh, okay. Well, okay. My shutter speed's starting to max out. Well, maybe I got to put an ND mm. filter on there to counteract that. You know, it's like, yeah. Once you start taking away those barriers, that's when it opens up. But if you have this like mental block that I always like, that's the worst is, you know, like 
I can tell you the settings for like, this is what I would say, like we did with the Milky Way. Like here's the settings for shooting a rocket, lifting off at night. I mean, I can give you like the roundabout, but I'm always going to say, but on the other hand, it depends on conditions. You know, mm. I could tell you those settings and it was a foggy, hazy day. And you'd be like, Eric, my images look terrible. It's like, well, the weather conditions change the exposure, you know? So that's part of, but that's part of like, it's only experience that can do that. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just, you've got to, you've got to screw up in yeah. order to kind of get there. You know, did, did you ever shoot oh, any, yeah. uh, any sort of accidents, any like, like launch accidents or something like that? Oh yeah. I mean, well, that's how, um, you know, so there's another shot that I started doing, uh, that was all, all a result of an accident. And that was, there was, there's usually we're going after the rocket, you know, in a certain part of the frame where it's got the action of the, um, you know, the plume coming down, the rocket exhaust coming down, lighting up the pad. It's all, it's all there. And especially at night. And then that's, that's what, you know, I had, but I kind of just, you know, experimented and I was doing experiments and then I had flipped my camera into aperture priority and it, it kind of like, you know, I had, and I had a, a negative exposure value. Like I usually do at aperture priority at a negative one, which is usually what I would do in aperture priority. Right. So I was there and I, I, in that mode had auto ISO on, you know, and I was like, okay. And I had a minimum shutter speed and, and, and just, what happened is the camera went off and it caught the pad where it was all lit up by the by lights, but the ignition of the rocket where the, uh, all the ice had sheared off of it, the, the rocket exhaust was coming out, but it hadn't really fully illuminated. So it was one of those shots where, you know, you were able to see something that you haven't really seen before mm -hmm. because of an error or an accident. So I went, well, wait a minute, why don't I embrace that and try that and actually move towards uh, using aperture priority to kind of get multiple shots per camera. And that's one of the things that now I've been doing is, uh, especially at night launches, is actually using, I, I know what aperture I'd want or I know what shutter speed that I wanted to hang around and letting the camera adjust based on the lighting settings that are happening that allows me to get shots that I normally couldn't get if I was just in manual mode, because mm -hmm. everybody says, you know, oh, if you're going to shoot this, you got to be in manual mode. It's like, mm -hmm. well, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> there's only, uh, and that's what you could shoot about anything. It doesn't have to be manual. I mean, it's just going to be more pain, you know, like for example, night photography, uh, Milky Way photography, you're just going to be very painful if you ever want to shoot it in anything but manual uh, to the point at which you'll probably give up. But this that's the thing with with the rockets is so out of that mistake comes something where now i actually embrace that mistake and i use that mistake to get shots that other people weren't getting hmm. you know and now I, the people again asking me well how'd you do that oh i couldn't do that i can't not go into manual it's like well I don't know why you're asking me. A lot of times that's what's funny about it. It's like, I don't know why you're asking me if, if what I'm going to tell you, you don't want like the answer. But again, they always come full circle. I just had somebody again before this last launch. So we're the inspiration for launch. Call me up and say, Hey, what was that thing again? You were talking about? Cause it was a night launch and the thing you were talking about with the aperture priority. And I explained it to them again. They're like, I think I'm going to try that with one of my cameras. And they did. And they got great stuff. So. 
it's just a matter of getting over that mental block sometimes. You do get stuck, don't you? In going, sure. you, you, oh, I can't know. No, I don't want to use that. I can't use that. This is not the way to do it. You shouldn't do it. About a thousand different things. That balls to that. It's your camera is capable of doing that aperture mm. priority, shutter priority, whatever it might be. Use it. It's there. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know. In, I mean, concert photography is one of those things. You, you speak to 10 different concert photographers, you know, and they'll tell you 10 different ways of shooting a concert. And at some point you get to find, you know, you, you get to find your way of shooting something mm. that you're comfortable with. Um, you know, very often, it, one, one of the typical things you hear in concert photography is always like, oh, you get a freeze to motion, you get a freeze to motion. And it's like, well, I as a guitarist actually like to see movement in the right hand. I like to see that, Absolutely. you know, so... So my settings are going to be vastly different from somebody else's settings, depending on what my, um, you know, artistic vision is for, for you know, the yeah. story that I want to tell when I shoot a concert, for example, which, which incidentally, I haven't shot very many concerts in the mm. last 18 months. Well, because and, and just, isn't okay. that, isn't that the thing though? Like what you're just talking about there with like, like, that's what it's all about. It's like, what are you trying, what story are you trying to tell with the photo? Okay. And, and that's where, again, Adding that, introducing that motion to somebody playing the guitar, uh, what that can, what that can be powerful. Or I've seen great concert photos where just their head is actually tilting, and you get that little bit of ghosting because again, you're dropping your shutter speed mm -hmm. around. It's yeah. telling me that there's motion, that there was an emotion happening. Uh, the crowd's going wild, and their hands are moving, but their hands aren't frozen. They're like, you know, blurring because they were jumping around or something. Adding that little bit of motion. Um, does something to accentuate the story maybe that you're wanting to do. So that's where yeah. sometimes just following again, a formula, following the rules, um, it's not necessarily the right thing. And then sometimes from those breaking those rules, you can end up finding out something that you love. And then that's I awesome. find that those are the moments where your photography does break through because you're doing something that somebody else isn't doing or not mm -hmm. willing to do. And not willing to sacrifice. I mean, again, that so that image that we were talking about, the nebula, it was shot at 51,000 ISO. Um, nobody has ever, when they bought a print of it, said, oh, I can't hang this on my wall. It's shot at 51,000 ISO. <laughs> now, yeah. I, I have run noise reduction and I have done stuff to, to mitigate that. But at the end of the day, it's more about like, wow, that is a rocket up in space with two more rockets, like coming to land, like in one frame, like that's what people are amazed by, not by the settings or how much noise was there or anything. Yeah. Sure. I mean, nobody cares about settings other than us photographers. Other photographers. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. And we are the niche of people that are looking at these images. <laughs> yeah. Really <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now um, you're also, um, the uh, the vice president of operations for Kelby Ones. So that's that's your other kind of job, and and of course, uh, you know, I'm sure many many listeners um, and you know and viewers on YouTube will recognize you from the grid. How did you how did you first get involved with Kelby One originally? So actually, um, I got involved with Kelby One years ago when uh, we decided that hey, we probably need to do this video thing online. Uh, mm -hmm. That's actually where I got started. Was uh, coming in and basically we were starting a, a, a business line called Kelby training. We had just started doing, uh, when I started podcasting, uh, video podcasting, uh, for Photoshop <laughs> user TV. 
Uh, so that's how we started. And actually, right before I started, they had started an audio podcast called Photoshop User TV and then quickly realized that explaining Photoshop through an audio podcast was not going to work. And that's why, again, we went to video podcasting. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, then it just, that's where I started. And I started with, you know, Kelby training, we launched Kelby training. Mm. Um, you know, we grew the, uh, our company to where we were producing all this, uh, great online training content. Um, then we kind of merged companies again into this Kelby one, where we had the national association of Photoshop professionals and Kelby training merge these together to where it was just one membership where you could come and learn anything, be it Photoshop, Lightroom, or photography. It was like, we'd cover it all. Um, mm. So that's really, and then, and then from there, that whole time, again, I'm a video person, but my passion was photography. So I just started to absorb and learn new things. You know, I, I, I cheated a little bit and that I got to hang out like uh, a week in Paris with Jay Mizell. Like that was like uh, photography, like, like taking your photography and like amping it up to 11 because you're like sitting next to a legend in Paris and he's telling you all of the secrets of like what's important and what isn't. And when you start absorbing that stuff, you know, and then, and then I'm going like, I better listen to this guy. I mean, everybody like they love his images. I love his images. And then you start like, you start like absorbing this stuff. But what's so great about Kelby one is those same stories or those same things anybody can watch it because, you know, we have three classes with Jay Maisel just on Kelby one. And it's just like three hours of just like master. Like if you want to master your photography, just listen to the guy. Uh, now what people tend to do is do the same thing that my friends would do. And they'd say, I can't do that. Or that doesn't apply to me. But if you start like really stopping and listening to that, uh, so much information. Uh, and, and that's helped my photography so much. Cause that's where I started realizing, uh, I needed to slow down. Uh, he was the one who told me to slow down. Um, and then, you know, there's other things like, uh, you know, being able to focus on my style of photography, looking at things like lighting more, more intently, uh, you know, all these things that were, were born out of it. So I, I did that. And then, you know, became again with this photography thing to where picked up this genre of rocket photography and kind of ran with it. And that's where we are today. Fantastic. And of course there, there are uh, some of your, or quite a few of your courses um, are available on Kelby one. Yeah. Yeah. I teach everything from, uh, well, we do Milky way photography. We hmm. actually did a class on rocket photography. We we're able to go oh, wow. on NASA property. We were covering a launch. We got credentials for it. And we actually showed people like how to do all this, how to do the pad shots, how to do streak shots, how to do telephoto shots, all mm. from a rocket launch. But that's yeah. a big thing that we, that's our thing with Kelby One. Like when I taught a Milky Way class, we were like out in the Southwest of the US in the Grand Canyon, or we were out in the Mojave Desert, or we were, you know, in Zion National Park. Like we were in the things. Like we're not like just, hey, we're just going to teach you like, you know, we're just going to talk about it. We're actually going to go out and do this stuff or other things, you know, like we teach, uh, aviation photography. We're like Moose Peterson is like up in the planes shooting yeah. air to air <laughs> yeah. or Joe McNally is like in New York city with the ballerinas on set. Like we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're making the class happen 
live, like working photographers showing you what they're doing, you know, and then we also have inspirational classes. We also have software classes, but that's really our thing is like, we don't want it. We want it to be like immersive or to be like something that's real or authentic. And soon we had Moose Peterson on, didn't we? A few months ago. Yeah. Joe would. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joe's going to be at our portrait photography conference. I was just talking to him the other day. So he's going to be at our, we're doing a, we, we started during this pandemic to do these, uh, very immersive events. Um, we're, we're always have been into creating events for photographers. Uh, we had, we've had Photoshop world for years. Uh, we've produced Photoshop world. Um, we've had people all over the place come to Photoshop world. Usually we were doing them in Orlando and Vegas, obviously with the pandemic that changed. Um, so we had to kind of do something different. And what we decided to do was really create these immersive online events uh, for people to, to have that same experience. And some people are actually liking the experience way better because um, they don't have to take time away from work. They don't have to travel now, some people I know want to get back to that, and I, we will get back to that. But at the at the end of the day, it's great to have that outlet for people. So that's like the one we're doing. We were just talking to Joe about we're doing a portrait photography conference with 10 portrait photographers, and they're going to come on and teach classes uh, on a wide range of topics. But again, it centers around portrait photography. So that way, if you're into that, and that's something that you want, and you want two days of very immersive um, training, you're able to get that with one-on-ones being able to ask questions, mm-hmm. uh, being able to watch all this content. And then what's great about the online format is that it allows people to also watch this stuff for a whole year or buy it and say they can't come for those two days, still get that training for an entire year. So, which is something that we weren't able to do, uh, with the way we used to do it with just a, a physical event. Yeah. And is that, are you going to continue to keep uh, uh, those trainings in that way um, moving forward? Yeah. I, I mean, people, uh, we go, we're, we're big into doing stuff that our, our members want and love, and we're big on, on feedback and surveying. And from what we hear from, from our members and our people that, that want to come, that they, they like this format. So yes, we'll probably continue that format. There's gonna, there's obviously there. It's an interesting time, right? Because I think, mm. um, you know, we have to embrace the change that will be this post-world COVID world that we're gonna be moving into, um, that we're already moving into. But you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where we we have to embrace those changes and not fight those changes. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Is like, there's certain training that it might be better in this format, and there's certain training that might be better in that format. And those are the kind of, those are the kind of the good things that come out of these bad things sometimes where, you know, even though it's a bad thing, you're able to kind of step back and learn something from that. Uh, So I think that that's, what's helped us. I mean, I I've noticed that even with my daughter and her education, you know, and how that's changed and, and what that's going to be like, I mean, what, what is that going to be like now? You know, so it's just very interesting to see, like, if we could embrace that, and say, hey, maybe this way of doing it is better than that way of doing it. Then, you know, because like that, that's always been the thing, like uh, trade shows, you know, it's great um, that we could do those trade shows, but certain things that we did 
we're probably not the best format to do them like that where there's other things that we probably could do more of in person that just it'd be better to you know have more hands-on experiences or more intimate workshops and stuff like that uh be personal but these right. large uh lectures where you're in a room you know i i remember uh, back in the day going to nab which is the national association of broadcasters for video and you'd be in a a hall with uh, you know 10,000 people 5,000 people listening to a talk or a lecture them like this could have happened via a, an online meeting and had the yeah. same effectiveness. So I think that's where it's going to be one of those where we're going to have to really pick and choose yeah. and kind of fit that in better. And Absolutely. so that's a good thing I think that came out of this is getting us to like rethink how we're doing stuff. You know, you can you can bring more people into the fold as well by by doing things mm-hmm. in that way. You 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 know your overhead costs are, are, are potentially cheaper. Um, you know, ticket costs for those people attending can be cheaper as well because it's online. You know, provided they got a way to ask questions, you know, whatever that might be, yeah, that's to, that's a good thing for well, those people. That's the thing, you know, in, not for everyone, obviously. But. No, but I mean, you know, generally speaking, you know, this it's important to find opportunity in you know in a situation yeah. like this. I mean, you got to make you got to make the best out of a bad situation in general. And you know, there's there's certain things. An interesting thing, for instance, um, that's happened in the like in the camera club world, for example. You know, where you have normally you have speakers traveling to a camera club meeting, blah blah. And, you know, um, and of course during the pandemic, um, a lot of that moved to Zoom, and then all of a sudden you could have speakers who weren't local. You know. Um, you could have speakers from overseas who could via Zoom, you know, do their presentation. And and you kind of think, why did nobody ever think of this before? Like this doesn't make yep. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And of course yep. now, but with things going back, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of thought put into like, okay, well, maybe we can keep a Zoom component. Of course, people still wouldn't meet up in person or whatever. But when you have a speaker, there's really no reason why you can't have a speaker from abroad or you know, from a place eight hours away, if they do something really interesting, that's really captivating and, you know, a real asset, um, then, then why not? And technology makes that possible quite easily. Mm. You know, um, I, I like, I actually have my first speaking, my first, um, real life speaking arrangement, um, or engagement in, in a couple of days after not having done anything like that in 18 months. And I quite like doing stuff on zoom. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. you know. Is that because you're naked from the waist down? Well, yeah, nobody knows. Nobody knows. So nobody yeah, right. You're like, a, you're like a newsreader. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember when we did that? Uh, at the beginning, so, Where's so, this going? Well, do you remember when we did that photo? <laughs> um, <laughs> we did. <laughs> we were on camera. Uh, we'll, play, we'll play this photo in, in a second. But um, so we, you know, it's, this is a, everybody listening to this podcast will know this, obviously, because we talked about this many times. But this podcast is actually a, a, a consequence of the pandemic. You know, Nick and me uh, literally lost all of our projects uh, when when the lockdown hit originally in 2020, and uh, and after spending a couple of weeks watching Netflix, um, we sort of figured, you know, we got to do something creative, and so we thought, like, why not? Why not start a podcast, basically? Um, and so, you know, and now that things have gone back to more or less normal, we've just uh, this has just become part of our lives. You know, we love yep. doing it. It's we're doing it. Every week, it's just it's turned out to be such an interesting thing um, to do, and you know, getting to speak to really interesting people, you know, um, and and getting to learn a lot. You know, I mean, for us, we learn tons of stuff every time we speak gotcha. to we speak to somebody or we have a guest on the show, and hopefully, you know, that translates 
to our listeners. But at the very beginning, we did uh, we started doing some photo competitions because, uh, of course, at the time we had to make these podcasts from our respective homes and then edit it together afterwards because we weren't uh, able to meet in the same place. And so I'd be filming myself in my place, and Nick would be filming himself in his place, and we have a conversation and we cut it all together. Um, and so we did. There was one. Um, there was one photo competition that we did, um, which was a day in a life of a music teacher. I think it was or something like that. And, um, and so <laughs> do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. And so, uh, so that was exactly, yeah. you know, that was kind of the photo that I, that I made. That was fun. I, that was, yeah, it was, I made, I made this, uh, I made this image, uh, where I was teaching on zoom, you know, and it was complete chaos around me. And I was literally having, you know, I was wearing swimming trunks. Oh, were they swimming trunks? Well, I thought they were skid marked Y fronts. <laughs> no, 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 actually swimming trunks. But I had like, you know, my feet were in like a foot bath under the under the desk, you know, and it was like total chaos and pandemonium going on around me. But of course, all the student could see on Zoom was this small square of perfection behind me, you know. But that was like, that was what our lives were like, actually, at the time, you know. Yep, yeah, yeah, um, too true. That was fun. That was but yeah, fun. Oh, it is it is very true, very true. But yeah. that's that's the that's the beauty of it is I think this if we embrace that um, those changes and that's that's a big thing that um that we've been t- we've been talking about that around you know our offices and just mm-hmm. that's really been our driving force is like like how to help people and especially in this this new new way of doing it and making sure that we're yeah. doing it in the most effective way for people. Yeah. Um, and the most educate, you know, like basically what's going to be the, you're going to get the most out of it. You know, we don't want to do anything that's just gimmicky or, you know, we're not, we're not about that. You know, and we also, you know, want to do something that, you know, has uh, worth, you know, that isn't just uh, trying to get you to sign up for this free event in order to sell you five other things or spam you to death. You know, we're just like, this is, this is what we do. You know, like we're, we're around the office, like we're all helpers. We're all trainers. We're all, we're kind of all like that. It's just in our DNA that we just want to help people, you know, and that's really our driving force. Okay. So lastly, I just want to come back to uh, this, the cinemagraphs. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned a, an app called Plotiverse mm-hmm. um, that you use to, to create those. How does that, can you explain how that works? Sure. Uh, so they have an iPad version. They have an iPhone version. They have an Android version. They have a desktop version. Uh, but basically, it is a piece of software that just allows you to uh, load in your image. And then all you're going to do is go through the different settings with it. Um, they, they have them laid out kind of in order of what you would do. So basically, you have the ability to uh, mask certain areas or not mask certain areas. So thinking about it, if if I want something to be animated, I'm going to say, don't mask that area. But if there's parts of my image that I say, I don't want this to be animated because a lot of times the cinema graph, what you want to do is have something in the image flowing like it would in real life if you were shooting video with it, but the other parts of the image to be still. So it kind of plays with your mind And, and you're looking at it, you're going, is that a still photo? Is that a video? Is that an animation? You're just not sure. And I think that's what's so cool about cinemagraphs, right? And so you have that ability to mask. Then what you're going to do is tell it, well, what do you want to move? What do you not want to move? So you'll set anchor points. And an anchor point would be like a point, for example, with me, 
the point at which a rocket flame comes out. I do not want anything above that flame or the rocket to move. I want the flame to be moving. So I'll set anchor points along there. Uh, just like say you were um, shooting somebody, um, you know, and you had a, a, a flowy dress that, you know, you had a model in a flowy dress and you wanted to make the dress flow. Well, you might want to set it to where uh, you mask out the body, but the anchor point might be the floor that mm -hmm. you don't want anything on the floor to move. You just want the dress to move. So then you would set motion points to basically what you want to move. So then you've mm -hmm. got stuff mask that you don't want to move. You got stuff unmasked that you do. You've got anchor points set for the points that you want to, that you don't want to move. And you got motion points for the points you want to move. And then you basically set a, a feathering, you know, if you want, like how much of the edge do you want to feather? Do you want to blend into an edge and stuff like that? And then you just animate. Uh, you just hit the play button and animate it. And then if you mm -hmm. don't like what you're doing, you hit pause and you start deleting points and moving it around and you hit play again. And that's where I got a whole course on it on Kelby one, where we just went over all, all different types right. of photos, because I know that my, my photos are, you know, unique in the sense of not too many people go, oh yeah, it works great on rocket photos, but it also works awesome on so many different types of photos, um, sports photos. It works really great. Like say, uh, I've done one where it's like a, a, uh, a dirt bike and the wheels kicking up the dirt. And so if we, we can make the wheels spin, we can make the dirt kick up, but the bike is stationary and the rider's stationary and nothing's moving, but the wheel and the dirt's being flown around. Well, that looks amazing. Or, um, another, uh, one of the guys, um, who shot for the NFL contacted me once and said, Hey, you know, I'd really love, can you do something with this shot? And, you know, it was a guy coming out of the tunnel with smoke and, uh, fireworks and pyrotechnics, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just set the anchor points and make the fire animated. But then the, the athlete is running out and he's frozen. So it looks mm -hmm. very bizarre because you got yeah, the smoke cool. and the flame. So my point being is you can do any type of photo that has some motion in it. Say you're a landscape photographer and you want the clouds to start moving mm -hmm. and you want the water to start moving. You can set those animation points and you can just animate the photo. And what's cool about that is I think that's going to be a, it's definitely starting to become a growing thing, uh, mm -hmm. especially with like things like NFTs, right? Where a lot of people love animations when it comes to NFTs. And being able to take and animate your photo, it's a great way to get into something like that, you know, um, because not a lot of in that NFT space, I mean, not a lot of people are getting into like still photos, you know, it's usually got to be some kind of animation or some kind of, you know, something with uh, a GIF or, you know, something like that, or a video or, or some, some just quirky thing. And cinemagraphs, I think, are really starting to play into that very well. So it's definitely something to play around with and, and get into. And then just, it's got that stopping power. You know, when you're scrolling on social media and you come by it and it's playing this video, but you're not, again, your mind just goes, that's not a video. That's mm -hmm. a still photo. It's not moving, but this little part of the photo is moving. It's bizarre. It just doesn't look right. So you're kind of thrown off got to give that a go no for sure never yeah. done that never yeah, done that i'm definitely gonna definitely gonna try that um because like like i said earlier uh, but you know when i used to make little cinemagraphs i used to do it in i can uh, i think i i used to sort of uh, jump back and forth between final cut and 
um, and Photoshop, but used to animate stuff in there and like blend different things together. It was, it was more like it was a pain in the neck. It makes me feel time. slightly ill hearing you say that. That, yeah, that sounds nice. very painful. You you hey, you know, the thing with that, and this is like, you know, that's the beauty of it. You can, Photoshop is amazing. Final hmm. Cut is amazing. These programs can, Final Cut is like, or any of that Premiere, you can make motion pictures with it, right? Sure. But it's also super deep, just like Photoshop. Like you can get lost in it. And it's not that you can't make a cinemagraph with Photoshop. You totally can. It's just going to, it's, it's the thing of where's your end product going and what is your time investment? Because to me, a lot of the times it goes to, you know, in life, what's the, what's the only commodity, right? That you can't Mm. take back. You can't make more of it's time. Like Mm. you can't make more time. It doesn't matter what you do. Like time is this, this time that we're spending here, it's spent. I can't go backwards. So that's our biggest commodity in life, right? So if we can have a tool that can get something done in two, I can do a, I could do a cinemagraph, a plotograph, a really decent one in five to 10 minutes where that same thing, I could go into Photoshop, but it's going to take me 50 to minutes to an hour, maybe to do the same thing. It's like, (laughs) I can't get back that time. Uh, you know, and, and, and now it just matters. I mean, if the cinema graph, if the software couldn't do the exact thing you wanted to, well, then you got to spend more time at it. Well, that means you're investing that time. You better be getting something back for that time, yeah. you know, and that's a big thing. You know, like if you're going to invest that time, just don't be spending hours and hours wasting time on something when you could get it done in five minutes. Yeah. I think you know? I spent probably the best part of a day. I'll create this thing because uh, I had this, I had this, um, this Rubik's cube and I, I hung it from a, from a C stand with like fishing wire and I filmed the whole thing. And I was just, oh man, it just took the whole thing, took all day. <laughs> it was good fun. It was good fun. But yeah, I mean, it definitely took a, a, you know, it took a lot of time, but it was well worth spending the time at the time because you know, the, the result was pretty cool. And you learn things from it, right? And, yeah. And, and I learned to never do it. Like yeah. That but the point being... <laughs> If you could tell somebody, hey, there's an app where you could study the rocket trajectory and you could know exactly given your GPS coordinates Mm -hmm. where it's going to go, you, out of your experience, would tell somebody, hey, go do that because you don't want to do what I did in Photoshop and do this Rubik's Cute. It was a good learning experience for you. But if there's an app that could do that in five minutes, why not tell people about it? Why not? And why not? Why don't people try it? Just try it. You know, I find I find it just as fascinating as the the face app that we uh, that we tried the other day. Oh man, <laughs> there's this app that basically animates uh, your face yeah. to music. It's hilarious. <laughs> that was a that was an evening's entertainment. I, I hate when you get hooked on those little yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. That's so, all I receive for about a day. <laughs> I kept animating <laughs> Nick's face to lots of different songs and just sent them over to him like every five uh, minutes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I think I blocked you for 24 well, hours. No, no, it was I'm fun. joking. <laughs> that was fun. Well, Eric, I hope uh, I hope you you, uh, you feel that the time you spent with us was time well spent. Obviously, <laughs> it was. Oh, I do. I mean, I love. I, I, there's nothing more that I love than than helping other people, and that's a good investment of my time. But that's just me. Like I love, and I hope that's what people got. I'm just telling you things and just sharing life experiences. So. 
you don't have to make the same mistakes yeah. or invest that time or, or know that there is a product out there that could save you time, you know, and that's a win for me because I want to, I want to see what other people can create from that, you know, by having those tools, like we talked about earlier, it's amazing uh, what we can do when we share with other people and then see what they can do to make it even better. Yeah. And it totally comes across that way as well. You know, listening to you talk this evening, this evening, um, is, is quite inspirational and encouraging to, to, to hear it. You know, it makes me feel excited to go out and try some of the things that you've just been talking about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can get that across to people, well, you're winning. That's the win. Yeah. Eric, thank you so much for being our guest uh, on the show today. It was an absolute education. Um, it was super fun. Uh, I certainly learned learned a ton oh, yeah. of new things that uh, you know that we'll put into action at some point, um, for sure. So again, thank thank you so much, Eric, for for being on the show. Um, Maybe to- we get Eric to critique some of our um, nighttime <gasps> photography one day. Or cinemagraphs. Or cinemagraphs. Ooh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Well, if you have yeah. that, we're definitely up yeah, yeah. for for making some for sure. Um, so. We have come to the end of this week's episode. Again, be reminded, if you have made it so far on the audio version, you can rewatch the whole thing over on youtube.com forward slash camera shake, where you can not only hear our sultry voices, but can also see our beautiful faces in full technicolor. Um, last thing, if you so desire, you can head over to cameraShakepodcast.com, hit the join the community button and join our small but illustrious community. We will not bombard you with um, newsletters, clearly, but you will get an insight behind the scenes, which should be fun. Anyway, that being said, that's it. Episode 79. We'll be back with episode 80 next year. Next year? Next week. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Boom.